Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to a new podcast. I'm sure some of you folks who are uh, who subscribe to the YouTube are going to be wondering, what the heck is this? And the answer is, basically, this is a solution for my bizarre ranting on Every Week is Chaos about religion. And now I've brought on another schizophrenic to talk about religion. I'm joined by my friend, one of my favorite people in the world, Connor, for a new podcast. We're calling it The Cradle and the Convert, a podcast where we're going to be talking a little bit about religion, specifically the Catholic faith, uh, its intersections with, you know, the rest of this increasingly secular world. So, Connor, how are you doing today? I am fantastic. I am excited for this podcast. It is uh, much like it is for you, it is an outlet for some of my rants that I'm not informed enough on to really rant on, but now I get to have this little outlet. I know, I'm, it's going to be amazing. I'm, I'm psyched. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, because on, on every week is chaos. Sometimes, like, if the viewers listen to that podcast, um, they'll hear me just go on these rants about, like, religion. And I'm sure it seems, like, out of place. And it's like, David, why are you going on these rants here? And it's like, well... Now I have an outlet, so I can spare you people. <laughs> but yeah, so we we could, I guess we we really have to like narrow down topics in the future. We'll probably come at you with some more topics. We'll pre preload them, but we just kind of, I think, for a good starting point is to kind of first of all, why the cradle and the con- cradle and the convert. Sorry, I'm str- I'm stumbling on my own words already. Uh, obviously. That pertains to each of us because that may I am going to be I'm the I'm the convert part of that and Connor is the is the cradle Catholic. So we have a little bit here. So it's gonna be me being very stupid and asking Connor a lot of questions and telling him to yell at me when I get something wrong. And anyone who's actually Catholic will know that I as a as a cradle have no idea what I'm talking about and won't have good answers for you. <laughs> And that's perfect, because we can both learn about all of this together. (laughs) (laughs) So I think a good part to start is to kind of talk about our journeys with faith. And I don't know, maybe you want to start, Connor, since I think a lot of Catholics today probably... Oh, oh, there's... Actually, do you think that there are more cradle Catholics, or do you think there are more converts these days? Oh... I have no idea. I think it's probably more cradles. It it also depends on where you're really drawing the line. Like someone actually meeting all the precepts of the faith, it may be more converts. But there are just so many people who grew up Catholic, still call themselves Catholic, and at least meet close to the minimum criteria of the precepts, who just from from the beginning have been. So I, I think there are probably more cradles depending on what your benchmark is but i I'd, I'd give it still more cradles just because it's such an old faith so there are so many people dating so far back in the church yeah that's that's probably fair i don't know i think maybe it's because i'm coming into it on my uh, generally kind of in a in a new wave of you know young men especially cuz i don't know if you've seen this but it almost seems like there's a trend where it's a lot of young men are flocking to the church recently Maybe it's because like the the Jordan Peterson thing, right? Where he's like, you need to give you need you need to give the people a mission. You gotta go out, and they gotta go out and slay their dragon and bear their cross. And like they follow, we 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 end up following him, and we're like, oh, we make that leap that Doctor Peterson has not unfortunately made as of yet. 
but I don't know. Yeah. And then, well, the other thing, uh, Matt Brad talks about this a lot, that a lot of us have been robbed of a tradition growing up and we're trying to cling to something we never really had. So a lot of us are, a lot of people are driving to the Catholic church and within the Catholic church, you see those young men running to things like the traditional Latin mass and more backwards, not backwards looking, but more traditionally grounded things just because we've been so deprived of it in our actual lives. And he always talks about how there is, it's kind of awkward because we don't know how to cling to that tradition since it isn't our tradition. And we were, we were all raised in a non-traditional world. So we're kind of awkwardly grasping for it, but like that awkward step is good. And it's us finding our way back to it. Also quick update. There are more cradle Catholics in the world, according to chat GPT than there are convert Catholics. Good I do to not know have that. a ratio of how many, but chat GPT four has given me that there are more cradles. All right. Well, then I will take chat GPT. I mean, like ask it for a source or something, but it's like, you know, I'll trust the AI. I, I, I'm here. I, for one, am here for our future overlords. <laughs> as long as you get, I wonder if you could, I, I think we might have to make an episode someday out of like trying to convince chat GPT and AI of the Catholic faith. That could be a fun little topic someday. I got the Snapchat AI to say under any and all circumstances, abortion is murder. Okay. Well, that's, that's another good, that's but another the Snapchat good AI is really dumb. That's really easy to convince the Snapchat AI to say just about anything. Yeah. It's, it's kind of creepy. I'm not going to lie. Like I've taken pictures of like objects on the ground and then it, it's like, Oh, nice shoe or whatever. And I'm like, you can see images. And it's like, no, I, it says, no, I can't see images. It's like, you're lying to me. Why would you lie to me like that? The AI is malevolent anyways, but being as there's kind of like this interest in kind of a, having some sort of tradition that we don't really get in a secular age, you obviously grew up in the tradition, at least in some way, shape or form. And so I'm curious, Connor, you seem to be what, by any regards, what like somebody from looking from the outside, they would go and determine, oh yeah, that's a, that's what you might call a trad Catholic. I don't know. Maybe you're not a fan of the term considering like inter-Catholic debates, but maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself and your kind of your journey to be kind of who you are and so like resolute in your faith. Maybe that's the right word. So I was born in a family a lot like the one I was just describing when you asked about the cradle and converts question, where there are just so many out there who were raised in families that don't even really meet the basic minimum precepts of the church, but are still calling themselves Catholic. Um, I, I went to mass, I'd say Christmas and Easter, but honestly, most years I didn't even go to mass on Easter. It was just Christmas. Um, but, you know, we, we called ourselves Catholic. I did go to like CCD as a little kid. I got uh, baptized when I was a baby. I got my first confession, first communion when I was seven-ish years old. I did like this typical milestones, but then throughout the rest of the year, it wasn't really a factor in my life. When I was 13, my mom died, as anyone who's been at Rothbard Village after hours knows. And I um, kind of just clinging for something. I started going to church more often just to have something. Uh, the Catholic church, one was just kind of historically what my family was, even if we weren't that strongly practicing, but also the Catholic church's emphasis on Mary really gave me something that I 
needed strongly in a time that I was losing my earthly mother. So I started diving into the church as I went into my high school years and became more of a practicing Catholic. Uh, when I went off to college, I went to a Protestant university, Texas Christian University. Go for all, I'm watching them play We're basketball. Um, and I was in a Protestant fraternity. So I was a very open-minded Catholic. I, I was very open to learning from Protestants, and I still am. I mean, I'll I'll be rude on Twitter because that's how people behave on Twitter, and it's certainly how I behave on Twitter. But I, I'm still very open to learning from them. But it was more in the last few years out of college that I committed more to learning my own faith beyond just going to church regularly like I started to on Sundays and just being generally Christian as I really was in college, but committing to honestly knowing my faith, knowing the theology to the best of my ability, knowing the history to the best of my ability. And I put the best of my ability qualifier strongly because I know very little and there is still so much more for me to learn. Um, but more or less, that's my faith journey. <laughs> well, that's that's awesome to hear. I mean, it's always good to hear that the church, because I, I think one of the the most beautiful things for me about especially about just Christianity in general, like is this idea that in our broken world, that there's always going to be something there for us in a community that will always identify with us. And as like a Catholic, like if you go to any Catholic church, like say in the United States, the liturgy is going to be generally the same with the exception that the, the homily might be a little bit different depending on where you go. And it's, it's beautiful in that respect and that you'll always have a home no matter where you go and that there will always be Christ. You know, I'm going to sound like the, like the dorky, like Protestant thing where I'm going to be like the, where Christ always has like his open arms to you. Right. I don't know why, but it sounds a little bit dorky to say that, but it's true. And it's, it's amazing. It's great. Well, and um, Matt Frad once said on one of his streams or something where he was at a church where it wasn't, it wasn't the best, like the liturgy wasn't great. And like my, the, the church I go to back in Florida is a lot like that. It's, it's very much what you would see an angry Pratt on Twitter complaining about in, uh, in liturgy. It's, it's, they play guitar. It's yes, they play guitar. It's, (laughs) but then it's even worse than that. Like when a, when a kid at the school has a birthday, one of the, one of the songs in the liturgy ends up being happy birthday. It's, and they clap at the end of it and they, they put slideshows up on the wall and it's terrible. But even that, while I still have enormous problems with it, some of those I have more, more problems with than others. But at the end of the day, there's something we said that if you're at a Catholic church, it's got valid sacraments and a valid liturgy. As far as it goes, it is, there's enough to become a saint there, even at the worst church. And at the best one, there's so much more than that. And there's something beautiful in that. Yeah. So I, I think that's a that's a good point to kind of maybe touch on is that I obviously I'm one of those many young men who's come to the Catholic faith. And I, I think maybe from an intellectual level, from my respect, um, what do you think that the church like? Obviously, we're not in a position We're not here to criticize or anything, right? Because the church does what it can. But what do you think the church could be doing more? Like if we were talking to it, like say they come to us and as consultants, which is already a bold assumption. 
what, what, what could the church be doing to kind of reach out to young men like you or I that you think that we could be doing better? I'd probably say that it should stop trying to reach out to young men like you and I, because a lot of the time what goes so wrong in the church when, when it comes to that is that it doesn't understand young men like you and I, and like so much of the, of the criticisms of the Novus Ordo, the things that have gone wrong with it are things that happened with boomers trying to appeal to the youth but they don't understand the youth and as such they appeal to a caricature of the youth and in reality what people like you or i end up wanting is like you said we no one no one is becoming a catholic because they want a protestant adjacent mass they're becoming a catholic because they want a two thousand year old tradition so if if the church really wanted to appeal to the youth what they need to do is just do what they do best and be the Catholic church, do what it's meant to do and have that long reaching arm into history. That is what we're all so desperate for. And at the end of the day, stop doing gimmicky stuff to appeal to the youth because gimmicky stuff that appeals to the youth drives the youth away very fast. I I think that's, I think that's absolutely correct. And I think that generally a lot of the problems, like, you know, I, I hear about you hear about from like Bishop Barron a, a lot of the time because he grew up as a kid in like the 1970s, right after Vatican II and everything. And w- we could have complete discussions about Vatican II. It's something I need, and I'm sure you as well also want to delve into more at some point when we've read a little bit more about it. Uh, but how there was this kind of trying to appease a secular age and trying to be trying to throw open the doors and be like, you know, those new shiny shopping malls that ever that were popping up all over the place in the sixties and seventies. And that's just not, that isn't what worked. And that what ultimately, ultimately you don't need to really pander to say to the youth or to the zoomers of the age, right? Like we don't need to go and throw like, I don't know, a subway surfers thing on the bottom half of the altar or whatever. I don't know. Uh, you, you just have to, you just have to be there because I mean, we're going to get into this a little bit later, maybe in a next and in, in the next episode, but like St. Augustine says in confessions that our heart is restless until it rests in you. And that there's this kind of pursuit of the human heart and the intellect to pursue after these things that kind of just leads you there anyways. And then there's something deeply beautiful about an intellectual long holding tradition that has stayed the same at its very core. Even if there's like, a few as as Aquinas would say accidental changes right like a changes to appearance right it's at its core its substance is the same yeah absolutely and i mean at the end of the day um there's an old fulton sheen quote that i'm gonna butcher but it's something like if the church weds itself to the spirit of its age of the age it'll be a widow in the next age the the church is not supposed to just be for today it it's it's going to exist well into the future that gates of hell will not prevail against it. And when you're trying to just appeal to the people of today and don't get me wrong, the church is a universal church. It is supposed to include the culture in some capacities, but when you're trying to appeal to the youth of today, the youth of today are going to be gone tomorrow and you can't, you can't create a lasting institution trying to just appeal to the youth of today. 
And if we appeal to the youth of today, we'll, we would strip out everything and then make it about like whatever rapper on TV and like worship. <laughs> we would have, we'd abandon all of like the sexual teachings of the church in an instant if we wanted to appeal to the youth necessarily. Yeah, either that or we'd do the exact opposite and become the angriest rad proud on the internet because that's the other thing the youth of today clings to. <laughs> Yeah, what what's with that dynamic? Why why are there so many just because obviously I, I I think you and I like traditional values uh, and like them a lot because there's there's value in them and the church teaches them, but that there's this almost what 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 on the internet might be called rad trads who are just they they seem to discard the benefits of like Vatican II and the like. Like what what's with that phenomenon? Why is there this rift and divide? Is it because there are just so-called progressive Catholics or well I mean there the thing is there is an appropriate response. Like there are ways that we've seen like the easy example is the German bishops who are a little more friendly on homosexuality than you'd like to see them. And there is an appropriate response in anger to that where you'd like to see that treated better, handled better. Um, but there's a lot of people who at the end of the day, I couldn't tell you why it is, but are they, they have a very specific image of what the church is and it's not exactly what the church actually is. And when push comes to shove, they're not submitting to the Pope and they're wanting the church to submit to them. The reality is I, I have no idea why that divide happened, why people come that way. If I had to guess, it's just that we know too much about church politics today. There's no reason a podcast like ours should exist. And in the <laughs> world in the world we live in, it, it's great that it exists, and it's a great opportunity for us to talk about things. But the truth of the matter is you and I shouldn't have access to most information about, about the inner workings of the church. And little things like the recent dismissal of uh, Bishop Strickland. I was a little heartbroken by that, but the truth of the matter is he's not my bishop and I shouldn't know that happened. In the internet age, the church, the church moves very slowly and the internet moves very fast. So at the end of the day, when you've got like a social media mindset, you're going to get angry at the church because it's not going to react to things at the speed you want it to. But the church is moving at the speed that the church moves, and we should be listening at the speed we're supposed to listen. <laughs> yeah, that's that's very fair. Because uh, I, I think that maybe is a lot of the problem with, with people becoming so... Like, a lot of these rad trads seem to have a, a lot of problems with Pope Francis. And I might not agree with, to say, Pope Francis on economic policy. But then again, I don't know that that particularly matters all that much. And that maybe we shouldn't know about every little quip and, like, little little ad lib that Pope Francis. Because no, none of the other popes quite had that. Like, yes, they had, like, TV audiences even in the, ninth, even in the 20th century. But... None of them have ever had all of social media and cameras with every single person recording every single thing that they ever do. And that just allows us to overanalyze everything that every little act, which might not be super important in of itself, as if it's some part, part of some grand scheme or grand trend to change everything. Did you ever watch the show The Young Pope? I have not, no. Oh, it's so great. Though Bishop recommended it to me. 
but um one of the first things the character so the young pope is about this like it's it's like a hollywood caricature of like too conservative of a catholic but like it's actually the pope we're all dying for because a hollywood caricature of what would be this evil young pope is exactly what we want and one of the first things he does is uh shuts out all public access to the inner workings of the church and i remember watching that episode and being like hey that's a that's a pretty good idea well, i would i would love to see us do what these hollywood writers think is the evil thing the church shouldn't do i mean uh, i'm here for it i mean i'm i'm all for shutting the media if, if i became pope tomorrow that'd be the first thing it would delete the pope's twitter account cancel <laughs> every meeting cancel every meeting with any journalist ever and just be like nope we're not gonna hear anything from me yeah the the way the tr the church confronts modernity is to just tell it to screw off to be honest exactly and okay. the reality is the reason i'm not pope is because the church probably needs to confront well there are a lot of reasons i'm not pope but <laughs> um at the end of the day the church probably needs to handle it better than that but there's there's an appeal to that because it's we're just getting a disgusting social media mindset looking at it yeah do yourself a favor my fellow catholics delete your social media i'm just kidding maybe not necessarily delete your social media spend less time on your social media there's a, there there can be value to it and everything but if, stop stop ingesting you... all of this garbage that just makes you like question your faith because if you're if if it's making you question your faith to such a radical extent because pope francis uh, made one little comment then maybe you're too ingrained in social media mm-hmm if I say do yourself a favor and do uh, Exodus 90 to delete social media for 90 days, will uh, will they sponsor our podcast? <laughs> I mean, we can, we can certainly try. We're not officially endorsed, but listen, guys, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there. Give us money, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um yeah but anyways what next i mean i guess i could talk a little bit about like my little journey here being the, yeah absolutely the... go for it so ooh, where do i start so i grew up in a kind of very secular household and that's not to the fault of my parents my parents grew up in very secular households so it's kind of just doing the thing right we read bible stories and everything but i kind of was just under the assumption that they were just stories right like you know read about Noah's Ark and you're like, oh, that's a nice moral fable, right? Learning about this and oh, and reading about David and Goliath. And I'm like, oh, that's where my name comes from. Isn't that neat? This great little old story. But they were just stories to me. And I was a, I was a weird kid and that I was always reading. Like I was the like everyone, every other like little boy is just like running around in a circle being like super hyperactive and everything like little kids sh should be. Uh, but I was, like, content to sit and read for hours for whatever reason. I don't know. Maybe I was possessed by something. But I read a – well, actually, maybe I was at this point. But um, I I read a – I read a book on space. And that book on space talked about the Big Bang Theory. And I'm sure what, what you – I'm sure some of you listeners are going to understand that, hey – there's something you're missing out here. And I know, I know that now, but I, I saw the big bang theory and it explained like, Oh, the creation of the world and everything. I was like, Oh, science. Right. I was like, Oh, science explains this. 
this God thing is irrational and it doesn't make sense for whatever reason. And so I was like, oh, I'm just too smart and logical for this. And so I became an edgy atheist, you know, like all those insufferable like Reddit or I didn't get to like maybe Reddit tier because I wasn't making all of the stupid arguments. But I was like, there's just no evidence for this for X, Y or Z. And so I would just like go around and I would argue with all the other like Christian kids. And I'd be like, you're, I'd be like, your faith is dumb. You know, well, obviously in a less deep voice, I'd be like, your faith is dumb and it doesn't make sense. Like I was that kid. Um, eventually I kind of get into politics for whatever reason. And I'm sure that we, that if you're interested in my political takes every week is chaos exists. Uh, but I got into politics and especially conservative politics. Like, you know, I loved Ben Shapiro and Steven Crowder and all those guys. And I was like, Oh, I, I got to this point where I was conservative, but I was an atheist. And I was like, these conservatives just need to discard all this faith stuff and just become rational and everything. Like basically like an Ayn Rand kind of person, like an objectivist. Right. And I reached that point. And then I have a teacher who's my, um, in ninth grade, and he is my civics teacher, right? You know, you learn about the U.S. government, everything. I didn't have a, maybe the most friends, and so I would go and have lunch sitting in his classroom. But he suggested a book, and cue the gasps. It was a Dan Brown book. If Dan <laughs> Brown does did one good thing, maybe I'm the one good thing that came out of <laughs> came out of Dan Brown. But he he suggested a book by Dan Brown called Angels and Demons, which you know. Obviously, there's some pro there's a lot of problems with with the, with the book in the book series, right? But Angels and Demons kind of presented the idea that you know we're gonna come back to that Big Bang theory thing that the Big Bang theory was formulated by a Catholic priest. That was his theory explaining everything, and that so much of science has been formulated by say the Catholic faith and everything. And I was able to bridge that gap that oh science and religion can be reconciled in some way. And so I kind of got to have more appreciation. I was kind of just like a dorky conservative. I was an agnostic at that point. Like I didn't, I wasn't that edgy atheist anymore, but I was like, I have my doubts about all this stuff. I was like, oh, traditional values and religion. Religion imparts traditional values and that's beneficial, right? I basically did like, you know, ad living towards religions, religion and everything. And then... Uh, because I was like kind of this conservative kid and I was on like, I was, a, I was a kid who enjoyed like, you know, trading card games and Dungeons and Dragons and all that dorky stuff. Somebody in some, one of the people on there who was a Catholic was like, Hey, you would agree with all these Catholics. So join this like Catholic, a discord server. And I joined this and in my eternal boredom, I asked them, Hey, can you prove God's existence to me? It's just, it's like, I was bored and it was like an exercise. I was like, yeah, guys, yeah, prove God to me. Make make an and argument. Every every autistic Catholic who has ever read St. Thomas Aquinas was just champing at the bit when you said that. Oh yeah, they they loved it. And and so that was that was when I got introduced to St. Thomas Aquinas' arguments for the logical existence of God. And it changed it changed my life. And I had like a, a little bit of an epiphany while reading that. And I was like, I was like, oh my God, that you're, you're real. You've been real all along. Like the pseudonym bonum exists. Obviously I didn't know that phrase, so I didn't say that, but I was like, that's amazing. And then eventually I'm kind of like doing this ad libbing, like, yeah, the, God's real. I'm not sure. Explore faith thing. And so about 11th grade, 
10th, 11th grade, I, I, I'm like, I should read the Bible, right? Like the Bible, like I'm getting into all like these politics things. I'm like, the Bible is built Western civilization. I should read it. And so I, I chat, I chat with our, with our good friend, Caleb Brown. And I'm like, how do, what, no what relation I, to Dan Brown, no relation to Dan Brown. Thank, thank the Lord. But I, I talked to Caleb and I asked him, how should I read the Bible? And so I finally start listening to Father Mike Schmidt's Bible in a Year podcast. And after that, I discover Bishop Barron through Jordan Peterson and his discussions about like the intellectual, like the intellectual side of Catholicism. Because even when I was an edgy atheist, if I had the discussion, like my my Protestant friends would go and be like, oh yeah, God, right? And you got to come to faith. And I was like, listen, even if I, I don't believe you guys, but even if I did, I'd become a Catholic because those guys seem to be the most consistent and it seems like they have a straight line and you guys do all, all your weird breaking off and arguments and whatever. And I, yeah, even then I was like, Catholicism seems the most consistent, but then I get introduced to like the rich intellectual tradition of Catholicism. And that just, that hooks me. That really hooks me. And so I spend the, maybe the next the next year, year and a half, kicking the can down the road, being like, oh, maybe I should go and look into this more and learning a little bit more as time goes on. Um, I start going to mass, driving up like an hour, and an hour and a half, two hours to go to mass where Father Mike Schmitz did mass on the University of Minnesota Duluth campus. And first time I went to mass, I was just sobbing like a baby, like... I, I finally kind of clicked for me. And since I got here in Florida, where I currently am for college, I've, I finally decided to double down. And I was like, I'm in one place. I have no excuse to. And I finally am doing OCIA classes and exploring my faith and everything. And so here I am uh, being the wannabe Catholic, you know, all that fun jazz. So that's kind of my my story of coming to faith. And I just talked for like a good five, 10 minutes. <laughs> um, I have a question on that. I and have you don't answer. have to, you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but you said you grew up in a kind of secular house, but also I follow your dad on Twitter and I know he's not a Catholic, but he seems like a very good Protestant. And I also heard you mention that you were named after David as in David and Goliath. Was there like a, was there like a gap in his faith that you were raised in a relatively secular house, despite the fact that he, or I, I don't know how I'm trying to ask this, but like, I, it, you're trying I to ask me, about my family's religion. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, like I just, it shocks me because like your dad strikes me as the guy who would have raised you in a, like not Catholic, but a good Protestant family. So like, I was just, I was confused how you got into that secular background for a little bit. And if so, you don't want to answer, you don't have to. So I I guess I have to kind of think about this a little bit, but I think my dad's always kind of had kind of like a loose understanding of God and a faith in God, but he didn't really it wasn't really something that we focused a lot on because it was it was me spending a whole lot of time because my dad was the primary breadwinner for the for the longest time and my mom's been a stay-at-home mom so i was spending a lot more time around my mom and talking with her my mom was very secular like okay. she did not grow up okay. religious at all and so 
it was kind of like we would read like the by like the kids bible stories and everything but my dad my dad's like as far as like protestantism more proper he that's kind of more of a recent phenomenon where my family has kind of at the same time kind of found their way into faith not a catholic faith necessarily like a non-denominational christian kind of faith and that's that's where that kind of comes in my my dad's always kind of been like a conservative kind of libertarian type politically but the as far as actually like sitting down and like going to a church consistently it's kind of a newer phenomenon so that's kind of where that comes in okay that makes sense. I, I was just trying to square that circle and i couldn't do it in my head so that that makes a lot of sense yeah, so that's that's kind of my family, and then I I come in, and now I'll get them I'll get them to Catholicism. I'll get them someday. <laughs> well, so, yeah. any step is a step in the right direction. The fact that they're more practicing Christian than before—that's something to be celebrated, and that's good. Yeah, and I'm I, I I'm certainly I'm 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 really happy for that, and so I'm hoping mm. I can help them bridge that gap to the to the church proper. But yeah, so that's kind of that's kind of my journey. And so I became one of many young men who became attracted to the like Jordan Peterson kind of like accept and bear your cross thing. And the Catholic Church actually gave me a mission and was like, actually bear your cross. And so that's so I'm one of those many young men who became interested in it through that lens. I love the story of when Jordan Peterson went to Franciscan University. I heard this on Matt Brad's show. I'm basically just always going to quote him because as a cigar smoking Catholic, I just want to be the store brand him. But <laughs> um, but I uh, I remember hearing this on his show where he talked about Jordan Peterson, where he uh, he went to Franciscan and was talking to someone there. And they explained that the Eucharist is the literal body and blood of Christ, and it's not just a symbol. And he said, well, and what's wrong with the symbol? And the guy at Franciscan said back, uh, well, if tonight for your speech, instead of being literally you, it was a FaceTime, don't you think the, the people who came to hear you speak would be a little disappointed? And apparently Jordan Peterson just looked back and said, fair enough. And then they just kept going. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's fair. Apparently his wife actually just converted, which is great. Like last week, like very just. Yeah, and that's that's amazing. And so I'm hoping that that means that Jordan's going to get that bridge over well, as well. This is this is the cliche that there always is when celebrities convert and everybody says it. But at the end of the day, I'm hoping for it the same way I'm hoping for any given person becomes Catholic. You can't hope for it in the sense like Jordan Peterson is going to be what Jordan Peterson is and hopefully becomes Catholic and becomes just the best speaker that brings people to the church. But like at the end of the day, you can't really hope for it beyond just any average person because him converting could pull people away from the church the same way it could bring people. Like, you just never know what a celebrity com conversion is going to do. So I, I hope for it the way that I hope your parents become Catholic or the way I hope my loved ones become Catholic. Okay, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I don't know. I just, I have that, like, emotional attachment to Jordan Peterson's, like, early works that... um. I don't know. I just he has a special place in my heart, and so I'm 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 definitely hoping. Obviously, See, I think my parents. That's where like, we differ. I, I have I have an emotional attachment to his recent works, i.e., his Twitter <laughs> lately. 
Yeah, that that could be a whole nother. I'm, other part, I'm worried man. him converting will cost the world that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. We'll 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 have to see about that. But um, yeah. So that's kind of my that's that's my story, and I'm I just I'm excited. Like you know, um, he he actually went to the Good News Conference uh, with um with Bishop Barron. Uh, recently. Oh, really? That was yeah. It was in or it was in Orlando in October, and. Apparently, so there was a panel discussion with Doc, with with Dr. Peterson, with Bishop Barron, and with Father Mike Schmitz. And I've never sympath I've maybe it sympathized. Well, like yeah, I've I, I I've never sympathized more with drug addicts than than watch looking at pictures of that because I want to like t- like melt that down into a spoon and inject that straight into my veins because I just need that conversation. <laughs> that's fantastic yeah so i mean i'm excited for that discussion when that finally comes out and that could be something we talk about uh but yesterday so we're recording this hopefully this will come out tomorrow on another beautiful sunday of uh, december 10th but we're recording this on the 9th and so yesterday was just the solemnity of the immaculate conception of the blessed virgin mary yeah that's a mouthful but um, it, it was a it's, a it's a holy day of obligation. So I hope you all went to mass. Um, what, what Connor? What what is this? What what is this solemnity? Is this when Jesus was conceived? Is that what the what the immaculate conception is? So no. Um, short of like Christmas and Easter and like the really big ones, this is probably my favorite solemnity of the year. I love the uh, because like I said, Mary, Mary being there when my mom passed away was such a vital role of me entering the church. So I just love this particular solemnity. This is the solemnity of celebrating not when Jesus was conceived, but rather when Mary was conceived by Joachim and Anne, however you pronounce his name. Um, but he, she was conceived without sin and remained sinless throughout her life. It was made dogma. I don't know what year, but by it's like Pope, 1889 or something, I believe that, that sounds about right. It was by, uh, Pope Pius the ninth. I yes, want to say it was a, it was a pious immaculate. Okay, yeah. Then it was, it was Pope Pius the ninth. Okay. I'm, I'm right. Um, I'm 99% sure. Um, and it was made dogma, which means all Catholics do have to abide by it and believe it, that Mary yeah. was born sinless and remained sinless through the remainder of her life. Yeah. So it was 1854 by Pope Pius the Ninth. Okay. I was half right. I didn't have the year, but I knew the Pope. Yeah, neither did I. Um, I just kind of shot out a number. The other reason I love this one so much of all the Marian solemnities, one is just that it's great and beautiful and amazing. But the other one is it falls during Advent. So it's it's that beautiful time of year that even though Protestants are not the biggest fans of Mary and the way we venerate Mary, they are more soft-hearted towards her this time of year. So even... Even Protestants, I mean, they're never going to, not never, but in your average conversation, you're not going to get them suddenly agreeing with what we have to say about Mary. But you just, there's a softness towards Mary this time of year because they've all got their nativity scenes out. And there's just, uh, there's something beautiful about everyone, the, the way this particular one falls that I just love. Yeah. 
I, I, I think it's, I think it's interesting because obviously, um, being a, being somebody who's converting, it's, it's a very interesting thing. Like the church's stance on Mary, as we call it Maryology, because we like to throw ology after names and, and titles to, when we talk about theology, like we call the study, basically the theological study of Christ and who he was, was Christology because, you know, we, we need more ologies in the world. But I think Mariology is a very interesting thing. It's not something I totally understand, but I certainly don't. And I, I didn't come in with any biases that, you know, like say a Protestant who's converting would be and say like, oh, you guys are just worshiping Mary. She's an idol. Why are you why are you praying to Mary? Aren't you? Didn't we? Isn't there a commandment that says that, Connor? Are are we are we worshiping idols? No. And the other thing I will say about this is, um, in fact, you and I were talking about it the other day. Luther was actually pretty fond of Mary himself, and you can find quotes that almost sound Catholic just by today's standards. The reality of the matter is, I actually I'm a little more open to the Protestant argument that, like, okay, but there is it would be possible to worship an idol and thus be doing the wrong thing. But at the end of the day, when you look around the world today, I, we, we have forgotten how to worship just as a whole. I don't know if an average person in the 21st century has the capacity to actually reach the point of worship. Like I, I we are so far from what it would look like to worship Mary that, it, but part of that is that we're also falling short of how we should worship Christ. It's very common to say that someone with bad Mariology has bad Christology. And at the end of the day, I think a lot of the reason people are quick to say we're worshiping Mary is because people are also not worshiping Christ right. And as a result, it looks like we're worshiping Mary because we're celebrating Mary in the way they're celebrating Christ. And that, if you were to celebrate Mary in the way that is due to Christ, that would be worshiping Mary and that would be wrong. The problem is that we should be uplifting Christ even more so in such that the worship due to Christ would be singular and truly something above and beyond anything else. But the respect and veneration of Mary could grow so much more in society and still be falling so short of what it would look like to worship Mary we we could grow so much more in our Marian devotion. It's it's still so short of worship that it 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 couldn't even be imagined how much more we could grow in that and still be doing something beautiful and still giving Christ his due, and in everything we do to Mary. I mean, we remember in the uh, the second luminous mystery um, of the wedding at Cana, the fruit of the mystery is to Jesus through Mary, everything we do to celebrate Mary is to bring us closer to Christ. It is not for Mary's sake. It is for Christ's sake. Yeah, I kind of just rambled. I don't know how perfectly that came out, but you get the yeah. idea. Let me actually quote Martin Luther, uh, Luther on Mary, where he says, what, what do you suppose would please her more than to have you come through her to God this way and learn from her to put your hope and trust in him? notwithstanding your despised and lowly estate and life as well as death. She does not want you to come to her, but through her to God. Oh, blessed Virgin Mary. So to bless her is to accord her, accord her the honor that is her due. So Luther was significantly better about Mary than even than almost any Protestant is. The other thing that's sad about that is it, it really, 
as fun as it is to use that quote and like dunk on the Protestants and be like, look, here's this. But the reality is it shows how far we've fallen, even within our own church, that like that's a more beautiful description of veneration of Mary than most Catholics today can give. And he wasn't Catholic. So there's there's just been so much lost in the spiritual nature of the world. And like we've talked about in tradition, like so much of the world has been lost that as a result, when we venerate Mary, people think it looks like worship because we don't know what worship looks like. And the average Protestant has particularly lost that, but so has the average Catholic. I mean, the average Catholic cannot describe Mary with as beautiful words as Luther just did in that quote there. Yeah, I, I think, though, I would almost challenge the worship thing in that people don't know that they are worshiping things. I, I think that in the modern world, we tend to worship the ego, which I think is oh, probably yes. which and like we or we worship money or material goods above all else, which the reaction to that is not like, you know, Gnosticism that the material world is bad. Obviously, you know, we've had entire we had entire councils on that issue, but that we that people do worship things today even if they don't know or identify them as worship that aren't god they they give their love their they will the they they will the good of themselves rather than that of the of of each other and of of, of accepting the love of god yeah for sure what i what i really mean is like if you were to intentionally set out to worship people have forgotten how to do that yeah um i i do agree like uh, humans are made to worship so they they will always worship something it, if if it's not the right thing it will be the wrong thing so yes that, i do agree with what you just said yeah and and the reason that we, we're not able to identify what we do to say money or our own egos uh, like as worship is because they're such perversions of worship that they no longer reflect what they truly should be like obviously one one could say like right there's a there's like a virtue to every like vice right that when you that lust is a perversion of love right that there are these these virtues right and when they become corrupted when these good acts become corrupted that's when we they become unidentifiable with them so when we when people worship say money or their own ego or their own just whims and desires then it just becomes so perverted that you're unable to identify that these we are worshiping these things, right? But because it's such a perversion, we no longer identify it as that because it's so away from like this this necessary value. Yeah, absolutely. And to be fair, I think part of it is such a I think we as a church need to give out a clearer definition of worship. I know Joe Heschmeyer did a whole thing on it and talked about how it's sacrifice. But that that's a lot looser than than that little mini series he did on it and wants to make it sound. Because at the end of the day, I mean, I've heard a Protestant say that they sacrifice at their church by deciding to get up early. And that sounds silly, but it is an answer to that. Like it's like, look, you are sacrificing your time. You're sacrificing something. And what makes our worship so unique is the sacrifice of the Eucharist, which is its own beautiful thing. And I get that. But I think a lot of the a lot of the Marian debate could be settled if we just put out a clear what worship really is and what it looks like. And I know that's hard to do without ruling out certain things that are beautiful that some people do as worship because you can't make everything fit into a definition. But I, I'd love for the church to put out some kind of thing 
really giving a definition of what worship is, because that would make the whole debate so much simpler. Because honestly, all that really happens in the debate of do we worship Mary is a distinction of what it means to worship. And if so, you ask so the how would, what it How would you define worship then? I, I, have, I have I would no idea how I would properly define it. I think sacrifice is certainly a factor of it. But there's it's it's the sacrifice due only to God, which is an easy thing to say, but again, it doesn't really answer anything. I couldn't tell you right here and right now how I would actually define it. Yeah, I, I couldn't give you a proper definition without feeling like I'm doing it injustice or like appealing to like you know, the, you know, like appealing to say like what we would associate with like, I don't know, like a pagan ritual, like a worship is to go and get on your hands and knees and worship this idol and praise it in some way. And I don't, I, I don't know. I don't feel like yeah. I would be able to do it justice. Well, and at the end of the day, if we had an answer that really could do it better justice, it would end the conversation pretty comfortably. Because if if worship is to pray to someone, then yes, we do worship Mary. Um, but that's because that's not what worship is. But every time you have the conversation with the Protestant, you say, well, no, worship is not just to pray to someone. We pray to ask for intercession. But the obvious next question is, okay, well, then what is it to worship? And we we have answers, but we don't have great answers to that. Even even if it weren't like the church giving a hard answer on that, like a dogmatic answer we have to have, just if like Catholic answers or someone really dug into it and just gave a really strong apologetic retort to that of this is what worship is, that would that would change this argument drastically. Yeah. And I, I think there's there's something to that for sure that the beauty like what what really attracted me to the to the to Bishop Barron's like evangelization with Jordan Peterson is the intellectual, but also the the kind of beautiful way that you put it. Right. Like you, like we were talking with Luther earlier, like that quote that I read, it, it, it's beautiful. It's a it's a beautiful description. I mean, it, it calls us closer to God. Right. Like if if you want to talk about what is beauty, beauty. I think was it Aquinas that said that 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 which brings us closer to God, or something along I have those no lines. Idea who said I could be, that, but I'll, I'll I, take it. I, it could be wrong, and if it's if he didn't say it like that, then I'm I'm coining that. But um, <laughs> but there's there's something to beauty naturally calling us, and I think that we need something that need like a beautiful answer to the question. Well, what is worship? Yeah. As a question, well, and to be fair. Like I said at the outset, I I have no idea what I, it's very possible we actually do have that answer, and you and I don't have that answer. Yeah. So it it could be more easily answered than I think it is, but as of right now, I don't know a proper answer to to that definition, and I yeah. think we need one. Yeah, I, I I wholeheartedly agree. So Connor, let let let's try to tackle some Mariology here. Um, what what do like I will, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do the role. I'm gonna try to steel man the argument of Protestants. Um, Saint Paul says in his letters that we are all sinners. Correct. Correct. So wouldn't that necessarily mean that Mary, by default of being human, would also be a sinner? That even if, say, she was protected from original sin, that she could have, she could have sinned in her life. What, what, what do you have to say to that? So I 100% believe she could have. What I don't believe is that she did. And the reality is, it comes to what you just said, that 
yes, we are all sinners, and it is it is through the grace of God that we are forgiven. And Mary was also saved through Jesus Christ. It was the it was differently than how the rest of us have been saved through Jesus Christ, in that he saved her prior to her yes preemptively he saved her before her conception he picked her he and his father picked her from the beginning of time for him and while i don't believe it was necessary for her to be without sin it was more fitting and more beautiful for her to be without sin and as such god chose to create her and she was saved through christ preemptively rather than like the rest of us had been uh, after the resurrection. Yeah. So I, I still, she still a hundred percent applies to the, we, we have to be saved through Christ. She just was saved prior rather than after. Okay. But then the, then the question becomes then why, why was Mary protected from original sin? Why, why, why that, that becomes the next Protestant question. And again, this this is one that you and I were actually talking about recently. Um, a lot of Catholics say that we she had to have been protected from original sin in order to be the Ark of the New Covenant, in order to be the New Eve, in order to carry to carry Christ in her womb. But I, her having to be immaculate in order to carry Christ in her womb has never really carried much water with me. Um, I think if you played that back, you could turn it into, okay, well then Anne had to be immaculate to carry this immaculate new Eve. And as such, she should have been immaculate. And we could go back into all eternity until the first Eve would have had to be immaculate and not fallen in order to have this pass. Um, the reality is they don't have to be. In fact, I, I think it was St. Thomas Aquinas, but it was probably a bajillion different saints have said that Christ didn't even have to save us by becoming man and dying for us, but it was most fitting that he should do that. And the same is true of this. Mary didn't have to be immaculate. She didn't have to be preserved, but it was most fitting that when Christ would be made man, he would come through an immaculate vessel. And it was, it was beautiful for God to give the peak of his creation of man through the mother of himself. So, no, she didn't have to be, but it. I think you have to almost try not to want her to be if you don't want her to be. I think there's such an instinct to say it's incredibly beautiful that she was immaculate, and there's no reason she sh- could not have been. And there are many things that say she was, and as such, it's you have to fight against to believe that she was. Okay. Very, very interesting. See, I might push back a little bit on the need for Mary to to do that, and that I think, I think one of my favorite things is typology. I'm I'm a sucker for typology, right? Like if you go back, you can obviously see that Christ is the Passover Lamb, right? He's the Paschal Mystery, all that stuff. That the that the Old Testament echoes in the New, and the New echoes in the in the Old, right? Because the proper way to interpret Scripture is as a whole, right? We need to interpret and analyze Scripture so we can form correct doctrines based upon the whole of the context, right? With divine revelation known. And so if we look back at Eve, Eve and Adam did not have original sin at when they were created, 
original sin was was as a result of the fall. And I think that Eve had that choice there, right? When the serpent seeded that doubt into her mind, what happened is Eve had that ability. All of salvation history begins when Eve makes that decision. And after that fall, right? Because because Eve was able to make that decision totally with her own rational and intellect free from original sin, it began that fall. And so I think it's important that Mary has is the immaculate conception, right? That she's free from original sin because it allows her to make that same decision, right? To continue because Mary could have said no. She could have said no to, to Gabriel in that moment. But she didn't, and that it allowed her to more readily, right? Because after after baptism, we're more able and ready. We're in a, a greater state of grace because original sin has been washed from us. And so that by – because I, I could be articulating this horribly – that by being protected from original sin, she was more able to make that proper decision, to say that resounding yes to the Lord, to be that which which carried forth the, the Son of Man to us. So I totally agree that it's important and that it makes her more readily able to in all those words. The only part I disagree on is the need part, because it would still fulfill the typology in its own right, where if Mary were with original sin, or had been born with original sin, had been baptized— she she the same way without original sin she was able to say no if she'd been born with original sin she'd still be able to say yes and it could fully fulfill the typology of it all to say that eve was born without original sin and chose to say no mary was born with original sin and chose to say yes and it would still meet that same criteria so i don't think it was a necessity like, I, I think God very well could have saved us without making Mary immaculate. I think God very well could have told the salvation history without Mary being immaculate. But like you said, all those other words, it was important. It made her more readily able to do so. And that's why I think it was most fitting and most beautiful that she be immaculate, which is why God made her immaculate. But I don't think the fact that Eve was without original sin means that Mary must be without original sin. I think she was without original sin, but I I don't think that makes it a necessity that she had been without original sin. Hmm. I don't know. I would almost I cuz this is this is totally me ad-libbing at this point is that I would almost wonder that we like say I I can go to mass and I can participate in mass, but I can't accept the Eucharist to be able to like Accept the Eucharist to be, I have to be in a greater state of grace with God, which means being baptized, right? And everything. And to be able to fully cooperate with that, to take on such a task that you would need to be able to be able to make that decision, you would need to be able to be in that state of grace, to have that resounding yes. Because I, because this was a discussion, a topic of discussion last night when I was uh, after mass, I went to smoke cigars with some good, with some new friends 
And we Smoke were talking- cigars in quotation marks. We all saw your picture on Twitter. Shut your mouth, Connor. Shut your mouth. It's not my fault you didn't teach me well enough how to smoke a cigar. Oh, I taught you right. You just don't remember that night. Oh, yeah. Sure, bud. <laughs> no, but when we were when we were, we were discussing this and that perhaps a better translation of Mary's response to the angel Gabriel isn't how could this be, but how shall it be? That she, in that moment, she was already going towards that yes. That she was able to have that mentality. No questions asked. Nothing. That she just fully cooperated. And that requires being in a state of grace. So, I don't know. That, that's that's kind of me ad-libbing a little bit. I mean, like, I I just don't see why that's required. I, I just don't. I mean... I, I don't see why it wouldn't have been logically and conceptually possible for her to have not, for her to have not been immaculate. Because I mean, God could have saved us in any way that is logically and conceptually possible. He chose the way that was most fitting, most loving, most beautiful, and obviously the best way, which is what happened and what was good. But I, I have I see no reason it was completely logically impossible that she could have said yes without being immaculate. Yeah. I'm not I'm not totally wed to the idea. Like I don't I I obviously I'm not I don't have my heart set like it's not written on my heart that I need my position to be correct. It just it seems right to me in some way. <laughs> and it, obviously it seems to work with a with a with other Catholics in some way. Yeah, I suppose. I yeah. I just don't agree. <laughs> so I actually have a question for you. So okay. obviously baptism, right? Like I, I looked into this, right? Like I just wanted to make sure I was not going to say anything incorrect. So baptism wipes away original sin, correct? Yes. So is there something – if we, we, we as humans are tempted – like obviously there was always the ability to sin – Eve was always able to make that decision, right? To like to eat from the the tree of good and evil, right? But original if original sin is what leads us that tempts us towards sin in some way or another. Maybe I don't understand original sin doctrine as well as I should, and feel free to correct me. Is there something else that about humanity that leads us to do so about our nature? Or because if if we're bap if we're baptized, obviously some people are still tempted to sin, but is, is that because of original sin, or is that temptation something else within human nature? And please correct me if I'm wrong um, on anything. I'm not actually good enough to answer this. I don't know the correct answer, but I would say just a couple points that I could make. One, it's not only original sin that can cause us to sin. If it were only original sin, we couldn't have sinned in the first place. Um, there are external factors. It, demons exist. Other, other things can tempt us. Furthermore, our nature is good, I want to say. <laughs> but I don't think that means entirely that we can't, from within make a wrong choice like even without the temptation of the devil we could be improperly informed we could be improperly we could have some misunderstanding for any variety of reasons and could still choose to sin even even when we weren't 
tempted in some external fashion. Um, but I don't actually know the answer to the question, if I'm being honest. That, those are my couple notes on that. I would say that it is not solely original sin. Um, because if it were solely original sin, then Adam and Eve couldn't have sinned in the first place, and then we wouldn't sin after baptism. Um, I would also say that our nature is good, but I would say there's still more to it than that, and I don't know what the more to it is. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, see, th see, this, this is a, this is the great thing, right? Like, I can ask these questions. You might even not know an answer right away, but this is something that we can continually explore and have angry yeah, comments absolutely. being like, "I'm um, actually in the in the replies," you know, all that fun stuff. <laughs> so, I'd yeah. love for people to reply and give me the answer. That'd be fantastic. It, it's what's the? I forget the name of the rule, but the rule is that the easiest way to find information on the internet is to state it incorrectly as a fact and then somebody will show up to correct you that's funny i like that i haven't heard that one yeah i i forget it's it's another one of those internet laws just like how the longer i forget i i forget the names of all of these but one of the laws is that the longer conversation goes on in the internet the closer uh, a comparison to hitler becomes godwin's law yeah godwin's law yeah so, Connor, I think it's actually fitting that we kind of wrap up the episode with kind of a, a final segment that I that I'm kind of excited to 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 talk about. So, obviously, there are thousands upon thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of Catholic and Christian books, right? Yes, yes, and. Obviously, as as me being a convert Catholic, I should read some of them. And as you, as a cradle Catholic who wants to learn more about your faith, reading is always a great tool. So what we want to do as a show is we are, are gonna, we are going to go, and sometimes we're going to have a segment where we talk about a Catholic book that we are actively reading so that you could read along with us, good listeners. So yeah, so I think so. What we were we, what we talked about is we currently have Saint Augustine's Confessions. Obviously, we're not going to talk about about it right now. Um, maybe you could introduce us, Con Connor. What do you, obviously you probably know a little bit more about like a general synopsis of what Saint Augustine's Confessions is. Maybe you could explain a little bit. Obviously, um, having not read it, you can only give a, you have limited information. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, a couple saints have written similar things, like St. Patrick has the Confessio. Um, the gist of it is it's Augustine working out his, or not working out, but writing an autobiography of his youth where he's not the incredible saint we all know him as today, but he's much more struggling with his faith. He's struggling with sin. He particularly struggled, and again, I haven't read it, so I could very well be wrong and will learn as I go, but particularly struggled with sexual sin and had to come to the come to the grace of Christ over time. And it's it's his autobiography of that journey. Yeah, that's absolutely perfect. But yeah, so we think it, it's, it's always helpful to have people going over and commentating. So we want to invite all of you, all of you great listeners, all probably like two to four of you we, we want to invite you guys to read along with us we're not going to do like live readings like we're not going to go line from line line from line that's not our thing 
We're going to go. If you'd like that, check out Thomist Reviews. Yeah, go check out our good friend Caleb Brown. He's great. But we're going to go and we're going to read one book after an episode. We're going to read one book because for some reason they don't call it chapters. They call them books of St. Augustine's Confessions is broken into books. We're going to read one book. And then we're going to come back to this episode and we're going to go and we're going to re we're going to basically commentate. We're going to point out the things that we noticed and we think are great and grand. And we're going to talk about that. And we invite you to read along and as well to, you know, listen in and hear your thoughts, maybe share your thoughts and like comments in the like. So we're going to go and for next week, we're going to go and read the very first book one on childhood and we're going to read about that. We're going to read Saint August, the first book of St. Augustine's Confessions, and then we're going to have a good segment. We're going to chat about that. So, yeah, I'm excited for yeah, that. Absolutely. Any of you listening, all two to four of you, throw a prayer to St. Augustine to uh, intercede for us and help us find the wisdom we're looking for as we read it. Yeah, of course. But otherwise, off the top of my head, I don't have any other topics. Connor, is there anything else you wanted to chat about at all? I think we're good. I think we're right at an hour or two. I think this is a pretty good wrapping up point. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Connor. We really, uh, oh, well, I, well, we, the, by we, I mean the audience. I'm not a schizophrenic. The audience and I really appreciate it. If you think we have an here. audience, you are a schizophrenic. Shh, quiet. But uh, Connor, where can the people go to support you and what you are doing? Where can they find you and other content that you are creating? Absolutely. You can check me out on Twitter. It's at natural authority, but with no Y because that didn't fit in the username box. Um, I tweet a lot about sports, Catholicism, and sometimes politics. And then on top of it, if you are interested in college sports, I have a TCU basketball podcast uh, as we get into basketball season. It really covers all sports. Um, it, uh, it is mostly TCU basketball. So it's, it's, pretty niche however if you follow any college basketball team we do get into little things of all major games happening around the country and if you follow a team that is going to play tcu you could listen to our episode the week before we play your guys so there are there are reasons to listen outside of just being a tcu basketball fan so that is called tcu's three wise men if you want to check out my other sports podcasts Yes, Wiseman spelled W-H-Y-S-M-E. Oh, yes, I should clarify that. I've gotten so used to saying it, I forgot that we spell it wrong. Actually, yeah, no, you, we spell it right. You spell it right, everyone else spells it wrong. All right, David, what about you? Where can people find you? So as as you, as I'm sure most people who watch it, who are listening to this know, I have another great podcast with my good friend Lorenzo, with our good friend Lorenzo. Our, our our local friend and you know what we'll, we'll get you know we'll get him to the faith at some point right but uh you can check that out every week is chaos you can find it on youtube spotify apple podcasts google podcasts i think stitcher because that's a thing apparently and amazon music slash podcasts so you can find that podcast there. You can find my work at the Mises Institute or the Foundation for Economic Education. If you like, look up David Brady Jr., you can find my author page there and read whatever I'm writing about, usually economics, politics, stuff like that. Uh, if, you're, if you're really interested in following me on social media, it could be real David B. Jr., just the J-R there. We're not full, spelling out that full thing. 
And you can follow me there on Twitter and Instagram at that handle. That's pretty much everything for me. Uh, if you're interested in any economics books, you can go to the Ludwig von Mises Institute and you can go and use promo code Brady, B-R-A-D-Y at checkout to get a good 10% off on all of those books. But hey, thank you all for being here. All right. That was great. Have a great one. Yeah, thank you, everybody, and we will see you all next week. Remember, read St. Augustine's Confessions, at least just book one, and then you'll be ready, all right? Absolutely. Thank you. Bye-bye.